Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful, loving group of your children that you have handpicked for this place and this time. I believe that. I know that. I thank you, Lord, that in our times together, you show me each of these children of yours. We talk about them. You show me beautiful things. You help me to pray for them. Thank you for... Thank you for your word, Lord. And for the signs and wonders that you will bring about in this place. Confirming that word. I know this to be true as well. I look forward to all the things that you have for all of your children here and all those who will come. Thank you today, Lord, for the anointing, your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In uh, In 1 Peter... Chapter 2, verse 9, Peter talking about how some have missed the Lord, but the point he was making was to encourage and to put the spotlight on those of you who haven't. He said, In the 8th verse, he said that that Jesus had become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who had missed him. And he said they stumble because they disobey the word. And to this they were appointed. And then he talks about you and to you. He says, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. To proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Revelation 1, verses 5 through 7. And from Christ Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has released us from our sins by his blood, who has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then I love the next verse. Behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. I told you last week I was going to tell you how to live free and like a king. So I wanted to lay that groundwork there, showing you that that's really who you are. Kings and priests. Do you know that? (laughs) You hear it. I don't know if you believe it, all of you. 
Romans chapter 8. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures today. Because I really want to drive this point home. I want to give you that answer. How to live free. And how to live like a king. And I'm going to show you. And I want you to hear it. I want you to believe it. I want you to meditate on it. And have confidence in it. Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Capital S. That's the third person of the Trinity, folks. So what is the righteousness that the law could not produce? Well, to answer that, let's, let's let Jesus talk about it. Alright? We all trust Him. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40, Jesus, He always had people around Him who were trying to trick Him and trap Him and do Him harm. Some of them pretended to be His friends. We know that one of his disciples was the head of his treasury. And he was stealing from him the whole time. And Jesus knew it never said anything. In this particular case, one of those that surrounded him, it says a lawyer in the Bible. The lawyers of that day were not, they were the theologians, okay? Teachers of, the, of God's law. These are the ones that Jesus had the biggest problem with, as I mentioned last week. And let's, let's see what he's trying to expose and why he has a problem with them. For the most part, not all of them. But there was one of them, a lawyer, who asked him a question to test him. Verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? You see, Jesus was born under the law. He was still under the law. He did not come to change the law or to break the law. But he was out there preaching grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. And they wanted to get him trapped. One way or the other. They wanted to get him to say something against the law so that the the, the legalists... The theologians, these lawyers could get him. Or, just to agree with some things that they were doing, according to the law, that opposed the teaching of love and grace and peace and forgiveness that he'd been preaching. They always thought they had him. They never did. And remember this, this was Jesus' last week in Jerusalem. And he knew it. He was preparing to go home. Be with the Father. 
I think this is a serious time for him. Not that he wasn't always a serious person, but he didn't hesitate to answer this guy, is my point. Verse 37, and he said to him, because he said, which is, the, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So here he is saying that everything in the old covenant hung on this peg. So the answer was love. Listen, I'm trying to show you how simple, how simple the kingdom of God is. I've been around folks that made it so complicated. On purpose, so that you had to have them to understand the things they were talking about. That's not God, folks. When you hear the real truth and you have God, when you love the Lord and you belong to Him and you hear the truth, your spirit will bear witness. His answer was love. The righteous requirement of the law was love. Jesus described it as 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 the the, the thing that on which everything else hinged or, or hung. Like when I walk in my house, my poor wife, I you know, if I hang my coat, there's a there's a peg there on that coat rack. I hang hats. I have a lot of hats. But if the peg wasn't there, it'd just fall right to the ground. Nothing to support it. Nothing to hold it up. Sometimes I look and I'll have 40 hats there. And I'm like, oh goodness, she never complains. I'll gather them all up and take them up where they belong to my office. Then I'll start again. Jesus revealed that all of the Old Testament law was always designed to instruct people on how to love. How to love God, how to love other people. Therefore, the two commandments that dealt directly with loving God and loving others are the ones he was referring to. They both... From Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5. Those are the ones he was quoting. And he said that they're the most important. Now, the religious leaders of the day, these ones testing him and always challenging him and watching him with such discernment, they they were so obsessed with, with, with keeping every minor detail 
of the law. I mean, one of them even said, remember when he saw the old publican there praying in the temple and, and the and he said, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like this old sinner over here. I, I do this and I do that and I tithe and I pray and I fast twice a week and I give even the tithe of the mint and anise and all the things from my garden. I, I, I do things just right. I've, I have a lot. You owe me, God, because I'm good. He didn't say that, but that's what he... He was being self-righteous. And the old publican, the sinner over there, heard him and he just, he couldn't even look up at God and he just said, oh, forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that one went away justified in God's eyes. Not the religious leader who bragged about his righteousness. But that's how it was. They... They had gotten so absorbed in all of the laws and all the other 600 and some odd they had written along with it that they forgot and they lost sight of their ultimate purpose, which was love. They neither loved God or their fellow man, to be honest. Yet they thought they were keeping all the law, you see. So they missed the whole point. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Listen. This church is established on this Bible. And a complete revelation of it and acceptance of it cover to cover. We believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit. We eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, just like the Bible instructs. Paul says, I wish you all prayed in tongues. And he said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So do I. I can probably say that about me over all of you, and I'm not comparing. I just know me. And I know what it means to me. You don't see me up here juggling snakes or speaking in tongues because that's not proper in the church. There's nothing weird about God. He's the coolest dude you'll ever meet. Just like all the different music and the different things people get hung up on and I don't like this and I don't like... You know, nobody said that here, of course. But there's no Christian music. There's only Christian lyrics. It's going to be rambunctious in heaven, folks. You're going to hear every kind of music, and it's going to be loud, and they're going to be praising God, and you are going to be at a party. I, 
I feel sorry for some of my Presbyterian friends. <laughs> They're going to be shell shocked when they get home. <laughs> God bless us all. So we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, and you're going to be seeing a lot more of those things as the days approach. I I happen to believe and know in my heart that we have entered into the beginning stages of the third great awakening in this nation, and and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to have lots of things, and I believe there are going to be people loosed into their ministries, and all these gifts are going to begin to flow. And it's all going to be in order. It's going to be done as God gives wisdom and direction but when revival comes all bets are off the Holy Spirit will just take control and we're just going to jump in the river Amen Amen. so we're going to continue to do everything that God has called us to do for the edification the building up of the church in love it's all good It's all for the good of the kingdom of God, for his reputation, and to help people. But if we're not motivated by compassion, I've had times when miracles have happened, but when I was praying for others, and I... I felt it. I knew when it happened. I knew how it happened. And I can remember some you know, sometimes you can't put God in a box. Just like with your giving, you know, I'm all for the tithe and I guarantee you need to be tithing if you're not. And that's not nothing that about me personally, it's for your own benefit. And the tithe is not, you know, you know, I'll, I can't afford to tithe. Let me tell you, everyone that I know that's ever said that, you never will be able to afford to tithe if you're waiting till you can afford it. You have to start with what you have. And it, the tithe means a tenth, and it's the first fruits of your increase. That means, you know what, how you can tell what the first fruit th- fruits is? If you have a, 10 $100 bills in your hand, you know what the first fruits is? The first one that leaves your hand. Not the one you write the leftovers after all you fill your page. I'm just saying we have to learn to participate in God's spiritual laws that are put in place for our benefit. Not to hurt us. Does God love you any less if you don't know? But some of the tears that are wiped away by him when you see him I think are going to be because we lived so far below our inheritance while we were here. And he said, I had all these things in place to help you and you just didn't trust me. Everything needs to be motivated by love, though. And so that's why I wait for people and pray for people to get a revelation of the things of God. Because if the Bible says here, if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. So if a preacher gets up here and spends half of their half of the church service preaching the offering, which you notice we don't even take one up. There's a basket back there, which I even forgot this week. <laughs> but you know you're some of the biggest givers I've ever known. 
most of you give online and we have that option and it makes it easy. I just text giving and sometimes I'll text, I'll make four offerings a week every time I get a check because I want to make sure it's that first one that leaves my hand. And sometimes I don't want to. It's not always a feeling. <laughs> this is not about money, folks. This is about obedience. Because that understanding of sowing and reaping and everything's in seed form applies to everything in the kingdom of God. When you sow love, when you sow peace, when you sow mercy, I I think of one of the scriptures that I the Lord had me on for still all the time, but one of the ones that he said, we're not leaving until you, right here, where it says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And I look at somebody like Buddy, and I say, man, I want to be just like that guy when I grow up. You know? Buddy and Sherry, I mean, you look at them, and you just, just like, just love just pouring out of them, you know? All of you <laughs> probably have me beat in that category. <laughs> That's just because you are so full of love. So this is maybe a gentle reminder or a methodology or scriptures for you to know to help others to come to that same conclusion you have about the love of God, loving God and loving others. But that's not all he said. He reiterated this, and I'm still going to drive this home, and when we finish, you're going to get it. Romans chapter 13. I want to show you how they kept saying it, and how many ways they said it. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see that? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Isn't that what Jesus just said? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Amen. Amen. Such an uncompromising and specific statement, right? I mean, you can't misunderstand that. It's just so clear and simple. Love. If you're truly loving with God's kind of love, you'll never do anything to hurt anyone. So there's no law against it. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control.
Where is that anyway? There it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against the such things there is no law. Okay? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. People who walk after the Spirit, they have no need to be controlled by the law. Why? Because the law given by God was not meant for you. No law ever given by God can prevent a person from doing what the fruit of the Spirit would lead them to do. Right? Finally, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says, the aim, Paul's telling Timothy this. Paul, Paul's getting on with his life and I believe Paul is, is understanding what's, what's going to happen with him. He's handing over the reins to this young preacher, encouraging him in every way he can. Tell him, don't be afraid to be a preacher, because sometimes it can be quite intimidating. But he tells him here, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's this English Standard Version. The, the New International Version says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And the New Living Translation says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with a love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. The aim, the goal, the purpose. Paul is saying that all of his preaching is summed up in one word, and that word is love. Matter of fact, Paul blasts those who don't teach with love as the goal. Right there in 1 Timothy 1. Verses 6 and 7. He says, some have departed from these. That's what he's talking about. The teaching pointing to love. And have turned to meaningless talk. Again, he says, it's like, if I have not love, I've just become a clanging old gong, you know. That's what he's talking about. He said, they've departed from these truths and they've turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law. But they don't know what they're talking about. Or what they so confidently affirm. 1 Timothy, right there. In 1, verse 8 and 9. He goes on to say this. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous Not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers, their mothers, for murderers. So here, 
we find a challenge. Folks, for ourselves, it says the law is not made for a righteous person. So here's the question that we all have to ask ourselves. Have I been made righteous by faith in Christ? If not, then your faith in Christ has done you no good. (laughs) Thank you for that thunderous applause. (laughs) But if you have been made righteous by your faith in Christ, then the law isn't for you. point is this. You can't have it both ways. Some of us straddle that fence. Romans 5 says we have been made righteous. That we have peace and hope and that we have been justified just as if I never sinned. Through our faith in Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been, have been, already done deal, justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord... My mother has already passed on. I can't get her in here to say an amen for me. (laughs) You know what it is, folks? I love y'all. I'm just... You're being stretched. Y'all know I'm challenging you. I'm making you think. You don't want to get caught (laughs) off guard. Answer wrong. I think some of us just feel safer under the law. Just just tell me what to do and I'll try to do it. I'll do my best. I won't get in trouble with God that way. And then He'll accept me because He sees my effort. He sees my struggle. He sees my situation. He knows me. He understands me. And I try to be a good boy. I try to be a good girl. And But it doesn't work like that, folks. Back to 1 Timothy, that same chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And I'm, I'm closing here. He says in verse 9, We also know that the law is made not for the righteous... But for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers. Just read that, right? For murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine... So the point is, we have to choose... 
There's no third category. I, I, I don't find a third category. The person motivated by love is always free to do exactly what he wants to do, and so he lives like a king. James 1.5 But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the King James says liberty, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Some people think that James was very hard and legalistic. His short book in the Bible does hit you right between the eyes. No doubt. I think they misunderstand him though. He understood what true love was and what it looked like in the day-to-day walk. He was mostly doing just what his brother had done. He was calling out the hypocrites who claimed to understand his brother and his God, but didn't. When I say his brother James was the half-brother, just like Jude was of Jesus. They didn't really believe in him when he was alive. But once he got up out of that grave, they sure did. And they were both martyred for their faith in him. James 2.8, and I really am finished. <laughs> James says, James says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, you see that? According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Amen. Why would he call love the royal law? Because that's what his brother, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, says was the most important. Oh, James got it. Freedom and kingship, that's what the gospel offers you through our Lord Jesus Christ, folks. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's all I wrote down, but I, one more came to mind. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear is like pride. It has so many different layers like an onion and hiding places and disguises. Just like with pride, when you talk to people about their fears, they will deny it. 
They deny their pride. They deny their fears. And they'll give you their excuse. What it really is. But don't you know the Lord knows everything? (laughs) He doesn't want you walking in pride. Because the Holy Spirit will never work inside of pride. And He wants to help you. He doesn't want you operating in fear because fear is the opposite of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because fear opens up a door for the devil. And God loves you. He doesn't want you to be fearful because he doesn't want you to open a door to the enemy of your soul. Everything that he tells you to do is not to hurt you or to harm you or to take anything from you. But because He wants to be there for you to protect you and bless you and give you everything that Jesus, through His atonement, has provided for you by grace. Think of that song, that beautiful song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. Y'all, y'all feel His presence here today? Yes. You know how much He loves you? Yes. You need to know that you know that you know yes. that God loves you and nobody can change His mind about it. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank You for this beautiful, simple word regarding the main thing. We thank you for teaching us. Because you are love, Lord. So why wouldn't it be the main goal of, the, of all of your instructions? Is to help us to love you more. By having a revelation of your love for us. It's the only way we can do that. And out of the overflow, we'll be able to love others. We can't won't do us any good to love others with the same love that we have if we don't love ourselves. So we have to learn to love ourselves. So we have to see how valuable we are to you, Lord. I guess we can only judge that by the price that was paid for us. And one drop of Jesus' blood is more valuable than anything in this world. So thank you. Help us to believe you, Lord. Believe your love for us. Help us to grow in our personal relationship and time spent with you. That quality time where we can bond with you and get to know you better and love and laugh with you. And go and share that love with others. You know that the world needs it. Let this little body of believers be so strong in faith that yes, we'll speak in the tongues of men and of angels and we'll have mountain-moving faith and miracles and signs and wonders will be done to confirm your word in this place. But Lord, let it all be motivated by an amazing, true love for you and for people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.